Market moving insight and analysis. Join Jim Cramer, David Faber, and me, Carl Quintanilla, on the opening bell hour of CNBC Squawk on the Street. Good Monday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Jim Cramer and David Faber. Futures are just south of flat as we come off of those all-time highs and set up for a very busy week with some high-profile IPOs, an FDA vaccine panel meeting, a government budget deadline, and a lot more. Our roadmap begins with the worst event this country will face. That's the new COVID warning from a top White House advisor. Stocks look to pull back at the open. Plus, we've got shares of Intel under pressure this morning. It's the biggest drag on the Dow ahead of the open. Apple reports, by the way, of Apple's plan for new, faster chips behind that. And you see it there. Call it Slootman's million snowflake soaring since its IPO. And the company CEO reportedly raking it in every month. I know Jim Cramer says he's worth every penny, Carl. <laughs> it's a lot of pennies. We're going to talk about that, guys. Uh, we mentioned, uh, Jim, all the stuff that's coming at us in the coming weeks or the coming days, rather, including some investor meetings, uh, CRM, Disney, Adobe, Lowe's and Starbucks. Look, there's a lot of companies that are doing incredibly well. Uh, but, you know, we ought to just also be thinking not just here, but worldwide. Uh, I think it's kind of shocking uh, to see that other than the banks in Europe, almost everything's doing well all over the place, uh, including these companies, which are very international companies. Uh, But I think Disney's got a great story to tell when it comes to Plus. I think Adobe's got a great story to tell when it comes to all the things that they're doing uh, in in commerce, the Internet. Starbucks, it looks like we're getting some comments saying, well, they're doing much better than we thought. So you've got all these, and that's also international. All these companies are doing quite well. They all have good stories to tell, and the analysts are still updating their notes, David, from when they thought that things were falling apart. Yeah. God, what a year it has been uh, in terms of the markets as well, as you say, Jim. There was that time when everybody thought things were were falling apart, although we are at this point in the economy again where people are looking at the stimulus and the vaccine. I shouldn't say stimulus, the relief package and the vaccine sort of as a stimulus in a way, right? Because if you get at least 900 billion, let's call it, if that actually were to happen, and then the vaccine, you heard Dr. Slowey talking about the rollout, which is coming very soon. I mean, and you start to see that return to normal, that will boost uh, a lot of activity, one would expect. Oh, my, it would be incredible. But at the short term, as, as Carl said, I follow this Dr. Faust, who's really one of our best guests. And he is saying like this weekend that we just finished is right at the heart of, of what was the Thanksgiving exposure? Because if you got uh, one on Thanksgiving to a family, to things, you know, big gatherings, you should be contagious as of last Wednesday or Thursday, which means, boom, this weekend it, it, w- there was a lot of damage done. So I think that I listened to a lot of the people, the commentators go back and forth. But the, uh, the main thing is, is that y- you can't avoid contact, Carl. And there's just a lot of people. Uh, in contact, unless you're six feet away and it's freezing outside, you, you might be giving it to someone. Well, in Arizona, Jim, uh, the legislature shut down because of uh, Rudy Giuliani, of course, who's now tested positive and was there, uh, reportedly now at a D.C. hospital. So uh, that's just one example of uh, sort of the dynamic we're looking at. To you guys' broader point about vaccine, Bernstein today on Southwest, there may not be light at the end of the tunnel, but vaccines tell you there is an end. They go to overweight on love, Jim. We got UBS right. upping Boeing and doubling their price target. 
Yeah, look, one of the things that happened this weekend, uh, other than the fact that my team's my fantasy and my DFS lost, was that I'm watching the Eagle. I'm watching Green Bay. And on comes an ad. David, will you listen up for a second? On okay. comes an ad for Norwegian Cruise Lines. Mm-hmm. And it's like, holy cow, the Robin Hood people were right. I mean, people are booking cruise lines. It looked like they were having a fabulous time. No one wearing masks. They're up watching the, the uh, icebergs doing that calfing thing. And I'm like, the Robin Hoodies were right. Well, you've made the point that they have uh, piled into these shares and don't seem dissuaded by the fact that these companies continue to sell stock, which, by the way, smart for them to do. No yes. doubt. Raise as much capital as you can right now. When is Norwegian actually getting back on the water, Jim? Well, they, you know? just, they just postponed uh, Frank Del Rio said, listen, we're not going to sail in the first couple of months of the year because he does, doesn't feel it's safe. I mean, Carl, I've got to tell you that one of the things that just it, it, it drives the older folks crazy is that you're not supposed to go up if you're Carnival Cruise. And you dilute, dilute, dilute and take issue bonds and bonds and bonds. Your stock's supposed to go down, not up. But this younger generation says, wait a second. Yeah, people are going to cruise again. They're going to get a vaccine. I'm hopeful. They're hopeful, and we're negative. Well, here's Norwegian on the tape as we speak, Jim. What? uh, Installing coronavirus neutralizing air purification system across the fleet. So I'm sure we're going to hear sort of what the airlines did earlier in the year, efforts to uh, establish confidence in the safety of, of cruising in general. Well, look, uh, they're going to figure it out. And I think that what a lot of the younger people who are not schooled in the traditional ways of, of the stock market uh, got right is that they were going to figure it out. I think there are a lot of people, frankly, who didn't think, David, you know, most of the people who we dealt with felt that there was no way he could get a vaccine this quickly in warp speed. No. I think they felt it was going to be kind of the you know, donkey speed. It could be. Well, we know from other pandemics or other, I should, not, not necessarily pandemics, but other efforts towards vaccines that could take years. Yeah. Months. And so, uh, and this is, I mean, again, I was talking about this last week, Jim, this is an extraordinary achievement as we come closer to course to this vaccine starting to make its way into people's arms here in the United States, perhaps as soon as what the end of this week, early next week. Yeah. Uh, it's an extraordinary achievement uh, of science. Uh, there's no doubt about it. Um, again, though, guys, back to the current crisis, hospitalizations, cases, right. deaths, all way too high. No doubt about it. And I, I think that there are a lot of people who can't see through it. And then there are other people, Carl, who just say, look, this too must pass. And when it passes, like that Southwest upgrade that you mentioned, then Southwest is going to make a lot of money. And since we tend to look forward, uh, the people who are making the bet now on, on companies that are going to be losing a lot of money seem to be making a lot of money. Uh, people are betting on all sorts of vaccines. They're making a lot of money. People are betting on anything electric vehicle with Biden. They're making a lot of money. The hydrogen trade is making a lot of money. The SPAC trade is making a lot of money. Yep. Uh, Not the, to mention the IPO, IPOs in general. I mean, we've got two enormous IPOs coming, high profile, DoorDash and Airbnb. Both. I mean, Airbnb now getting to levels it has not ever seen incredible. in terms of valuation. And you talk about how businesses change. Remember, early in the pandemic, it appeared that Airbnb was going to be debilitated. And in fact, it's actually come out stronger than it ever was. Well, we know that staying in a house when you can clean it yourself with no elevators, no uh, areas of where there are people who congregate could be a, a, a safer way. I mean, there's been a big debate on our network about the notion of wherever it's crowds versus inside versus no crowds. And, you know, a lot of this is just kind of um, 
it, non-science versus science, as I Andrew know. would say. I know, but I'll tell you, Jim, I don't know what? how many people are non-science, and we were, we were freezing outside outside at a restaurant this weekend. Right. Well, you got to get my refrigerator. really cold. You got to get my refrigerator. And I'm looking through outfit. the windows, very nice, looking through, and there's all these people inside eating. It was like a... Maybe they all have it. They were all... I, that's what I said. Maybe they've daughter, all got it, because the restaurant was fairly crowded. My daughter went to a concert this weekend. It looked so nice and warm, David, and she went everybody to a concert. was happy, and we were first well, shivering. But the, you're now starting to get, and you, she goes to this concert, has the greatest time of her life. Why? She's had COVID. Maybe this is the herd immunity. Maybe. Or maybe they want herd immunity, and they're doing their part. Maybe, but I was surprised. That the I had my of, refrigerator. I'll give it to you. It's $140. Carl, you can be outside in minus 10 around a barbecue, having all the <laughs> scotch you want, as long as you're six feet away. And it's one of the greatest. I felt like I was in Green Bay. Oh, excuse me. That was a... I felt like I was in Minnesota. No, they have a see the Eagles lost, so I don't feel like I'm in Green Bay. I'm aware the Giants won. Apparently, are sitting atop alone at five and seven. That was quite a win against Seattle. Although, as a long suffering Jets fan, that was. What do you think it's ESPN? Why don't you stick with what we're talking about? Sorry. Uh, but How anyway, about that call, though, that guy Williams made on I, uh, that last defensive stand for the Jets. But, but, that was crazy. Sorry. Go ahead. Um, I think that Dave, what David's talking about is what's uh, captivated the uh, six to nine which is its notion of getting sick versus not getting sick and places where you do get sick, as we know, versus places we don't. But frankly, it doesn't matter because science has been twisted to the point where we now uh, are happy to give bogus science. Our president's allowed that, David. Bogus science is here to stay. Yeah. Why not? Why not? Great. First Amendment. I know. Alternative facts. Alternative facts. They're here to stay. And if you but not in our world, because eventually it catches up with you, thankfully. You know, you actually do need to have real facts when it comes to making decisions about what to buy, what to sell, and all the other things in the financial markets, not to mention just generally. Right. I mean, you really are better off well, not that's living why, in, mean, a, in a fantasy world. Yeah, I like that. But yeah. you know what, Carl? I mean, we're in a world where everything goes. And I think that what you really want to do yeah. is take care of yourself. Because in a world where everything goes and the, science and the governments don't know what they're doing, you have to try to figure out. I mean, look, look at Sweden. Sweden was I, I, I got Sweden thrown in my face for a mask competition for months. And then what happened? Like Sweden totally shuts down. Why? Because they didn't wear masks. I mean, there is, you know, there's, there's right and wrong. And right and wrong are things that we learned when we were growing up and they got thrown away. Uh, and I think they should be brought back. Yeah. Uh, journal with a good piece today on how the Swedish experiment, Jim, is over uh, as they start putting in restrictions. To all this point, though, don't, Jim, uh, you know, there's some commentary out this morning that things are playing out the way we thought, but much faster than we thought. Mike Wilson, Morgan Stanley today uh, playing out much faster this time. We suggest leaning in on pullbacks, be more selective within the groups rather than broadly chasing. You go along with that? Well, look, Kostin has this piece. I know Kostin's on later. I love Kostin. And uh, the thing that struck me was there's $5 trillion on the sidelines. Now, if this were 1997 and there's $5 trillion on the sidelines, they're making a ton of money on the sidelines. But, you know, David, what is that $5 trillion doing on the sidelines? What is it doing? It's not making any money. So what? Why? How do you make? How do you retire on making no money? It's very difficult to do. Well, I mean, how about if you took some of that money and you picked individual stocks? Well, I, you know, I, I'm going to mention it. But, but that is, isn't that why we're at all-time highs to begin with? 
isn't so much of it that very well, well the five equation you know, the cost in peace wilson they're why very, were it multiples very good were quite high multiples now that said there are many people who expect we're going to have a resurgence in the economy once I we get the one. vaccine and numbers are going to not just meet but exceed expectations and to your point we're discounting obviously future cash flows not current ones no i mean it, Carl, one of the things that i think people don't want to talk about particularly um uh, are some of our friends in the White House that, uh, you know, I speak to all the time, David, uh, that China is leading the world. China is back. The numbers out of China are incredible. Do I want that? No, it's a central planning economy that kills a lot of people who dissent. OK, there. Let's put that on the table. But the fact is, is they're ordering a lot of stuff from Europe. And notice Europe's now ahead of us. Hey, look, I had PVH on last week, Manny Chirico. What really surprised people, and we got a nice note today about PVH, what surprised people was how good it's doing in China and how good it's doing in Europe. And, David, this new ecosystem, Europe and China, this is Belt and Road, worked much to the chagrin of lots of people in our foreign policy. Uh, what are you looking at? I'm not, what do you mean, what am I looking at? I'm looking at you. Well, you know what I'm talking about. I'm not looking at the camera. I'm looking at you. It's just you're sort of off camera. So that's where I look. China there. That's how it works. China. Everybody can see now how we are. The fascist, communist, awful, uh, eviscerating, murdering policy is winning. Okay, so that way I don't get hit, Carl. I don't get hit by people who say he loves China. (laughs) It's hard to say that I love China, but they are crushing it. You know what? They're crushing it. They remind me very much of Aaron Rodgers. They're getting the Aaron Rodgers rate. Yeah. Uh, Jim, I think everybody understands where you're coming from on that one. We will uh, we'll take a break. A lot to get to, including some upgrades today of Lyft. We mentioned the Boeing upgrade. We'll get to Broadcom being added to the U.S. one list at B of A. Some downgrades, too, of uh, McDonald's, Teladoc, Oxy. When we come back. Close friends and associates of Elon Musk say he has told them he's planning to move from California to Texas, which has no state income tax. Musk already spends a lot of time there where Tesla, SpaceX, uh, his tunnel, tunnel startup Boring Company have operations. Jim, you couple that with HPE uh, moving their headquarters to Houston. This report that Goldman's moving asset management to Florida. There's a lot of relocation going on. Yeah, look, I think it's now long enough for, to recognize that the taxes are really high in some areas and really low in others. And you're going to have taxes raised dramatically under uh, President Biden. And, and so why not just you, why not make a move and raise your salary? And I can't blame anyone. It, David, New York is no longer the center of finance because the New York firms are not letting not telling you to go back to their office. Yeah. I mean, it's still the center of finance. But to your point, I mean, one the big takeaway from this period has been that a lot of people can work remotely and that yes. their employer is happy to let them do so. I don't want to make too much of this Goldman news at this point. You're not they're not talking about moving jobs. In other words, nobody from West Street, the the population at their headquarters of Goldman Sachs has not declined a little bit at the uh, at actually in Jersey City where they had that building uh, for some time. But you, you typically have been talking more about reductions uh, in uh, operations and engineering jobs. But listen, South Florida is certainly a, a place where there is uh, a low tax regime and a lot of very wealthy people. So as you build an asset management business, 
certainly you're going to add jobs there, and that's certainly something that Goldman is thinking about as they continue to, by the way, add jobs in various locations around the country, whether it be Dallas or others. Musk, to me, is almost more interesting. California right now seems to be taking more hits than does New York. Yes. I mean, you did have the HPE news. If this really is true about Tesla, I've heard some other very big-named California-based corporations that may be thinking about moving their headquarters uh, whether it's to Texas or to Colorado, another place that has a quite low tax right. regime. So it is uh, an issue. Um, but, uh, yeah, I know there's some guy here saying New York's no longer the. Oh, yeah, Kenny Polcari saying on. Uh, remember him? It's no longer. He's one of those guys who moved to Florida. Well, but remember? remember? But I still think New York is. I think it will continue to be. Uh, although right now when you got 15 percent of the people coming to the office, right. nowhere is. Well, where's the talent when it comes to moving? Is there enough talent in Texas? Right. Now, or I, in Florida. I think that Texas is fabulous, Carl. I think it's got so many things going for it. But historically, neither Florida nor Texas has had the, the number of people that you need to hire. Uh, and I think that we're going to talk about Frank Slootman soon. But there is just you, you want to find people who can write code. I mean, Mark Benioff has told me over and over again, you got to find people who can write code. How many pe- are there enough people per capita, say, who can write code in Florida and Texas to make it so that it's economically feasible? I don't know. Um, and then there's also an yeah, issue I've I'm, heard as I well, mean, guys, about just schools and things of that nature. You tend to get a higher higher end clientele or people who make a lot of money who obviously are moving in part because they want to reduce their tax bills. They also want to send their kids to private schools. I've heard some questions about that as well. Uh, Of course, over time, those things build, uh, Carl, as you know. Yeah, Jim, I mean, overall, the migration patterns will suggest that there will be people to hire in cities like Austin and Nashville and Salt Lake and Naples, uh, given what's happening not just on the corporate tax front, but on the property tax front, too? Uh, I'm not going to disagree. I, I, it is, everything seems to be happening at lightning speed. And the emptying out of New York, uh, uh, particularly of Manhattan, it, is something to behold. A lot of the emptying is to Florida. I think a lot of the West Coast emptying is to Texas. Uh, David mentioned Colorado. If you go into Colorado, David, you go to where University of Colorado is, I mean, it's a, you'll recognize all the tech news. Me just nodding. David, it's a podcast. You can't. I'm nod. nodding. I'm nodding because Carl's going to take us to break. Yeah, but if you it nod. It means you be quiet. Uh, no, it means like you disagree with me. It's like you leave me hanging. We'll let the University of Colorado grad uh, take you to break. Uh, squawk on the streets back in a minute. Don't go away. All right, we've got seven minutes before we get started with the trading here uh, uh, this morning. I was almost going to say here at the New York Stock Exchange. Yes, well. Uh, Not there, but here in New Jersey, uh, northern New Jersey, our headquarters where we've been for some time and probably will be for the foreseeable future. Mad dash this morning. What do you want to hit? David City, in a very long note, talked about how HBO Max can scale uh, to the max, so to speak. Um, Box office receipts, of course, obviously uh, are limited. But it was like what you talked about last week. David, what I want to, and boy, what a good looking chart, actually. No, on the break, you know, possible break up here. You like that? Yeah. yeah. David, what happened? What changed at the top to make it so that we suddenly hear about HBO Max more than we hear about iPhones? That's a good question. I mean, AT&T, listen, the wireless business is still a cash engine for the company. And we've talked a lot about Warner and whether or not it would succeed. We know a number of the cable channels, not CNN, but some of the others are certainly having a tough time, as are any, broadly speaking, entertainment-related channels that are uh, subject to cord cutting, which continues apace. 
Max is the is the key product for them, right? Direct to consumer is a key thing because investors are willing to pay a multiple for it. Right. The question has been the conversion rates of current HBO consumers, who, by the way, aren't paying anymore to get Max, and there's a lot more on there. Right. Uh, and adding new new ones. Now that move last week was a seminal move yes. by them to say we're going to put all of our slate direct. Right there. Obviously, you can go see it in the movie theater if you want. They're going to do it for right. one year. They say it's COVID-related, Jim, but will it be enough to really soup up the, uh, the subscriptions at HBO Max? And will that be enough to start moving AT&T in the right direction? Look, the one thing was something that was talked about by people not in the stock market. When I hear that, what that says is you're going to get people, newer investors, saying, you know what, look at this. I can actually, like, this dividend thing, uh, you know, they... Yeah, they got, got a dividend. Dividend. Thing. Thing. Yeah, they got a nice deal. And at the same deal. time, yeah. And then people say, "Wait a second, they're like Disney, which has a big meeting this week. Big meeting for Disney. And yes. it, you know, I, you know, they're making a lot of smart moves. The theaters are kind of going the way of whatever. Except Disney's got seventy plus million subscribers know, to David, Disney that's Plus, why I, and HBO I, Max has sort of been. But this is an idea you put in these analysts' heads. I don't know about that. I think I, they can I, think for themselves. You have got to tell me who is the big think guy there. Someone's making big changes at ATT. This well, is not your father's ATT. Your CEO is John Stanky, so let's let's just say it's him for now. Uh, we got an opening bell about four and a half minutes away. Don't go anywhere. There is a lot more squawk on the street coming right back. Jim was mentioning the Starbucks investor meeting later in the week, Jim. A little more skepticism now creeping into names like McDonald's, where Stephen cuts to equal weight. They go from 250 to 225. Uh, they say their bull case of a 30 multiple might not get hit, and there's this increasing tension between corporate and the operators over how much costs are going to increase this year. Yeah, we, we remember that. That was a had the last time we've had that uh, was pre-Easterbrook, and it really did hurt the stock. I remember that period because the numbers were going down. What I didn't like about this downway was there's no sense that the numbers are going down. As a matter of fact, uh, we got the McRib. And McRib is a is a winner. I think that the numbers could be better, but the stock has a, the stock's not working, Carl. You're absolutely right. It's not working versus Starbucks versus even Wendy's uh, uh, versus a lot of the companies that figured out how to turn their businesses like Wingstop uh, really terrific right now for uh, coronavirus. So this is the one that's really lagging that people don't want. And I, I think it may be a mistake to hate it as much as it is. Now, you know it better than anybody, Carl. You know that they're very competent guys at the top now. Uh, yeah, uh, Chris Kamchinski, uh, obviously trying to keep those digital tailwinds going, Jim, and find new ways to deliver uh, because the habits that we've formed in COVID are likely not going away uh, even after that vaccine is delivered. There's a look at the opening bell, guys. Speaking of which, Jim, you know, it's likely uh, that we get some vaccinations within 48 hours of this FDA meeting, which could uh, issue a decision on Thursday or Friday. Well, Gottlieb with, again, another great piece. I would regard him as ours. He's so sensational. Always discloses, by the way, that he works for Pfizer, like in the third paragraph. But a great piece this morning in the Wall Street Journal about who should get it. And uh, and there was also some controversy about, well, how are these uh, that I've been hearing of the nursing homes? Uh, how do they get it? Well, the answer is that the CVSs of the world are taking the the vaccine right to the long term care and the states are taking it right to the long term care facilities. So I, I think there's so much the optimism will be rewarded. I still think and I know, David, I got nailed on the fact that I thought Pfizer was going to have an upside. Maybe Moderna does. I, I, it's obviously a harder thing to make. And by the way, we stopped hearing about therapeutics entirely. What's, what, what's going on there? 
Yeah, there was a period of time, as you know, where I thought that those therapeutics, that, uh, that oral antiviral that Merck is working on, for example, and some others that are out there, not to mention the monoclonal antibodies, although that was a supply issue from the beginning for the likes of Lilly or Regeneron. But I thought you thought, too, that they would be the bridge that got us to the vaccine, that they would be out prior to it. Now, in the case of the monoclonal antibody cocktails, that's the case, but not this oral antiviral. Doesn't mean there isn't going to be a market for it, Jim, because unfortunately people are going to continue to get COVID. Right. Even when the vaccine is around. Uh, But it is not what we thought it might be at one point, which was sort of that way to get us approaching normal prior to the vaccines. Those vaccines have come very quickly. Yeah, Len Schleifer was on a lot uh, from Regeneron, and I I was getting quite hopeful that the drug that the president took that had him bounce back quickly uh, would be in the hands of many. Uh, I I don't know where it is. I don't think maybe the federal government has it, Carl. I don't know where the stockpile of Regeneron pills is. Where is it? Well, it's got to be infused, right? So there's well, no pills right, to Regeneron, begin with. Regeneron, uh, yes, it's yeah. got to be. I'll take the infusion. I mean, the infusion, so what? You take the infusion, you get better. Yeah. Uh, you need a high, obviously need a bed at a hospital. But you know, it was very hard. It's hard to make. So there's not that many doses of it. Uh, not doses. Not that, not that much of it available. Well, we need it. Carl, we need it because the, the numbers are going to be pretty staggering. And I think it's going to hurt the, I think it's going to hurt the sentiment for a little bit when we see Thanksgiving. The numbers that have come from Thanksgiving, we don't know those yet. By the way, I've got a solution for everything. Ready? Yeah, I'm ready. It's a company called Visby. V-I-S-B-Y. Okay. I had them on air. Carl, they have a, they've got the use protection of the FDA. It's a handheld PCR, one time only. Gives you a reading in 15 minutes. Uh, the FDA sanctions that it is the same as a regular PCR. And what happens is, obviously, if you mm. keep testing people, uh, you, you, there's that window where you're infected, but you can't infect. And that's nailing. That's stop. That's making it so that people go home who know that who've gotten it, but haven't given it. Visby, V-I-S-B-Y, as they ramp up, this is the company to watch. No one's talking about it. It's private. But it can be the answer if they can ramp up for millions of handheld PCRs. A regular PCR machine is the size of a sofa. Think about the way we do testing in this car. You feel like, well, you get your test on Tuesday. You take this. You get the results, say, on Friday. Well, it's during that period that you infect people. Visby, V-I-S-B-Y. Get that, used to it. This is the term you'll I, be hearing. I, I think that's huge, Jim, for two reasons. One is, you know, the argument increasingly is, all right, maybe something like that is not as uh, effective in terms of uh, determining whether you are sick. But if you can replace it with scale, more testing, even that sacrifice of efficiency of the test itself it can be offset just by doing more tests at home, uh, testing more Americans, uh, uh, eliminating that period where you're asymptomatic but spreading. Yeah, this is I don't know what the NFL is using, but they obviously they're testing every day. They have, I know they have some COVID outbreaks, but geez, I mean, this guy should have had millions. But no, I think that they're pulling people away who have been near someone who has COVID. But what we would be able to do is if we had Visbees, like say everyone at the network had a Visbee, then we would just every day we would test. It takes 15 minutes to get the results. It's, Visbee is uh, trying to manufacture as many as it can, but it is scaling. It is used heavily out west. We haven't gotten any uh, that I've heard of in the east. But it's the answer because it's your own personal PCR. You throw it away after. It gives you the reading, and then you get one the next day. And as soon as you caught it, you go home before you can infect. Right now, David, you catch it. 
you uh, send it into, I don't know, Quest Corps, you come back three days later, you're getting everybody sick. And what did the test mean? Yeah, that, that is the problem, given the time that goes by. Fisby. Oh, Fisby, like Frisbee. No. But without the R. It's a V. But with a V. Yeah, like this. With a Fisbee. V, without the R, now, but like people Frisbee. right now are thinking Kramer's insane. <laughs> well, they usually He's over-caffeinated. Oh, I've read that recently. But the, and I've only had this. But what matters is, is that this is what people are using out west, and they're using it furiously, and it is ramping. I'm sure the company has a chance to come public. I had it in one mad money. I couldn't believe it. You can't get it right now from your doctor. It's too much demand. It's really given to the testing companies. But, oh, my, Carl, what I am hearing out west about the companies that are using this and making it so that everybody gets a test every day where you have 15 minutes and you find out the answer, it may be a way to stop the spread. And I think that's very important. Um, you talk about that's com- huge, Jim. That's that. Yeah, go ahead, Carl. Sorry. Uh, all right. No, I was just going to take them uh, uh, to Intel, Jim, which is the, the drag on the Dow uh-huh. on this report that Apple's developing even more chips that would uh, try to outperform even the highest Intel chips. Yeah, look, I mean, this is ARM, Apple affiliated with ARM, uh, ARM trying to be bought by, uh, by uh, NVIDIA. Uh, Intel, I think, has become somewhat of a pinata, David. Yeah. I mean, every day it comes up. Remember, AMD is head of Intel, and now we've got, we know ARM is. David, what happened to Intel? What happened? Well, they missed, they missed a, a, a cycle, right? With yeah. The 7 nanometer. It's hard to get to. So, I mean, you can't even, t- the atomic level on these chips. Well, wasn't that time? And then you've for- got the rise of Samsung. You've got the rise of right. Taiwan Semi and their ability to do this. Now, obviously, Intel is an integrated device manufacturer. Right. They're not just, but they are now thinking about how they want to approach manufacturing for their 2023 line of chips. Right. And we talked to Bob Swan, the company's CEO, about this last week because it's a very important decision for the company. Are you tossing to it? How much I am going to toss to okay. it, yeah. How much do you go with you know, what might be a sure way to get your supply, or how much do you continue to invest in terms of your own foundries, uh, which has been the way, for the most part, that Intel has gone. Only 20% or so uh, of their chips are made outside of their own production areas. This is what he had to say. We have a very strong product lineup for 2020, 21, 22 for both our client and our server market. The magnitude of the decision about what's in or what's out, I think we're going to make that determination over, over time. But I would expect that an IDM and filling fabs primarily for us here in the U.S. is going to be important consideration, important for us to continue to extend the capabilities of an IDM model here in the U.S. Yeah, uh, Jim, I know you're, you're not a believer. No, not at all. Not one bit. I think the company has lost its edge. I think that Lisa Sue correctly predicted this five years ago. She leapfrogged. I remember when Intel cracked Apple uh, and was willing to do anything for Apple. Uh, and now Apple is abandoning as if, why not work with them to come up with something faster? No, because they like the ARM chip. Why do you think that Jensen Wong is trying to buy ARM? Because it's a better chip. Now, I look, I, I, I sure wish that Intel was able, Carl, to deliver uh, because it's a great American company. But the fact is, uh, Arm, which is a great British company, is doing a better job. Just 
Oh, that's uh, that's going to be huge, Jim, uh, as we uh, as we try to find some way for Intel to get traction. I wondered, you know, while we got a minute, Jim, uh, I know it's not binding uh, this cannabis vote in the House on Friday, uh, the Moore Act, which is probably going to go nowhere in the Senate. But some of the cannabis uh, analysts did say to see a federal vote on decriminalization is historic in its own right, no matter where it goes. Yeah, I've been recommending uh, Canopy here because they've got the best balance sheet. Uh, they're the ones that are infused by con- Ooh, infused. I like that by Constellation Brands, and I think that if you really believe, which I don't, but if you really believe that it's on the horizon right now, uh, then you would do con- uh, Canopy. Why? Because there's this is what the the pandemic. There's so many different ripples of the pandemic, but there are a lot of people expected by this point there would be cannabis bars, maybe even all over the country. Remember, they will not be regular bars. There'll be cannabis bars with the uh, taste great, uh, no filling. Uh, cannabis <laughs> drinks. And, you know, Dave, that's what okay. I, I yeah. tried to get. A, I was going to open a cannabis bar. A cannabis well, bar? If it was legal. Mm. Not if it's illegal. Right now, you can't even open a bar at all. No, bars are closed. Yeah, kind of. That's because they're not as open as, say, a Costco. Right. Oh, I'm sorry. Science intervening again. Um, let's talk, guys, about SPACs because you can't let a day go by without updating everybody on the latest SPAC news. And we do have real news this morning. In fact, one of the largest transactions that we've seen uh, to date in the latest, let's call it SPAC frenzy. Um, this morning, it's fully transamine. Uh, they, uh, that is a one and a half billion dollar SPAC. And there you can see it's doing quite well after the announcement of a deal this morning to buy a business well, actually roll it, really, because Blackstone and CBC are the owners of this business. It is called uh, PaySafe, um, and it is a $9 billion deal when you add in the one point, uh, roughly eight pro forma net debt the company will have. Wow. 7.195 equity value. They're valuing EBITDA about 16 times right now. But this is Bill Foley. Uh, and, Jim, you know well, this guy has an c- incredible track record of creating value. Uh, former CEO, now chairman of Fidelity National Financial, both the largest title insurance company. Um, member took Dun & Bradstreet, private and public. Um, Kenai, his holding company, has done very well. They came up most recently in the CoreLogic thing, which I've been following. But in this deal, uh, Blackstone and CVC are selling, but they're also rolling. So they're going to get, I think it's, uh, what do we got? Uh, $2.323 billion is coming to them. Um, but at the same time, they will own 45.7%. That's Blackstone, CVC, and any of the other uh, shareholders of the company as it's currently constructed. They bought it a number of years ago. They built it. But, Jim, what they really are excited about here is the gaming market. Sort of giving a person this gaming wallet, its payment services, and the ability, even if you're using different platforms, to keep all, everything in one place, I guess. Well, I don't so fully understand it, but it's, it's seen as a full, real growth opportunity betting. on the growth in gaming. Correct. Okay, so here's the thing. All the different uh, betting sites have different lines, okay? So you want to arbitrage the lines, or you want to look at them, and you want to try to figure out, you know, one's plus six. One, it shouldn't be. There's just differentials plus six and a half. You really want to see all the line. You want to see the MGM line. You want to see the DraftKings line. You want to see the line out of Barstool, uh, Penn Nat. And that would be a fantastic device, David. Yeah. Fantastic for gamblers. Remember, gambling is legal. Again, it's legal in many states. Digital wallet consolidation. That's so Uh, smart. And again, they're talking about, obviously, margin improvement under Foley. Um, We're going to be joined by Bill Foley. Uh, and uh, as well, the CEO of PaySafe uh, later in the 10 o'clock hour of Squawk on the Street. How'd you Don't want to miss that. 
Because he's a very interesting guy. Apparently, oh, he's great fantastic. Vineyard, the Dunn and Brad's incredible. Team. The Dunn and Brad was incredible. It was yeah, a Dunn losing company. Street. turned a winning company. Made a lot of money in no time. Uh, it was quick. You're right. Yeah. Okay. Carl? We did get uh, a record high on the down NASDAQ and Russell at the open, although we've settled back a bit. Let's get to Bob Asani. Morning, Bob. Good morning, Carl. Happy Monday, everybody. Uh, new highs on Friday for all the major indices. Not happening today. A little bit of a pause, but that's probably a good thing given how overbought that we've been. Let's take a look at the sectors. So remember the trend that we saw in November that has continued into December. The trend has been value names like energy and banks have tended to outperform growth names like technology, but technology continues to do well. A little bit of an inversion of that story today, but not much, kind of flattish. Uh, more defensive sectors like consumer staples have underperformed the overall market, but are still up. So the fact that even underperformers are up, this has led to that Goldilocks scenario. Essentially, everything's up, and this is why we're at historic highs. Broad, broad advance uh, in the last five or six weeks. One thing that hasn't changed is the relentless advance of semiconductor stocks. There's a small group of new highs today, and they're all semiconductors. Qualcomm, Broadcom, KLA, Corvo, Applied Materials, uh, Analog Devices, it doesn't matter. You know, it may be that software is eating the world, but the semiconductors are the hardware that's eating the world uh, as well. So these are uh, on the new high list uh, today. As far as the narrative, there's not a lot of change to the narrative really over the weekend. We all know what the main stories are. Essentially, uh, we've got a very tough COVID winter coming up, uh, and that's going to be hard. The headwinds are from the lockdowns and the restrictions that are gripping the economy. The spring reopen is expecting, folks. The market believes it's going to happen in the second quarter of 2021. We're going to return to some kind of normalcy. That may seem a little optimistic, but that's what the markets are signaling. Stimulus talks, still optimism, even though we haven't had anything. We've been had this optimism optimism for more stimulus for two months now and going on thin fumes at this point. The valuations we've said over and over again, 22 times 2021 earnings, overbought indicators under normal historic patterns. It'd be very tough to sustain the kind of rally what we're seeing. The problem is we're not sure if this is normal. It's certainly not. We're in uncharted territory on the virus and on how the virus might affect earnings and sentiment. So that's why everybody's a little unsure about whether these high valuations necessarily mean the rally is going to stop here. Very exciting week for IPOs. We've talked about this for a while. Airbnb up the numbers this morning here. So now we're talking about 56 to $60 potentially after 44 to 60, $3.1 billion um, raise, 41 billion potential market cap when it was 18 billion during the lows back then. It's really remarkable turnaround. The reopening story, talk about a perfect time to go public. That's certainly there. DoorDash, we'll see what they're doing. They're going to raise on Friday. Seems a little more like a 2020 story, though, DoorDash over, uh, over Airbnb. As for 2021 IPOs, there's a lot of potential excitement out there. I'll be talking with Kathleen Smith today on Halftime Report about that. She runs the Renaissance Capital IPO, SpaceX maybe, Stripe, Waymo, Instacart coming in 2021. We'll keep an eye on all these, but these are just the obvious ones that are out there. David's done such a terrific job talking about the SPAC business, including the, uh, the big one today. I just want to point out how remarkable uh, this battle, if you could call it that, between IPOs and SPACs are. They've raised the same amount of money this year. This has never happened before. So right now, we have 194 IPO deals that have raised $67 billion. Guess what? We have the same number. 200 SPACs have raised about $64 billion. It's a dead heat. Here's two things that are remarkable. Number one, total amount raised between the two of them, about $130 billion. That's a remarkable amount of money raised for new companies coming into the markets. That's a good sign overall. And remember something, three years ago, 
SPACs were a nothing business. SPACs did not have a good reputation overall, uh, Carl. And of course, the success of big names like Chamath have really changed that perspective. Back to you. That is for sure, Bob. Uh, thanks, uh, Bob Pisani. When we come back this morning, Virginia Governor Ralph Northam on his uh, state's vaccine plans, how he is responding to the pandemic. As we go to break, take a look at how some treasuries are moving. Yields are pulling back after jumping on Friday on that November jobs number. No real economic data out this morning. In Europe, though, yields are falling ahead of this week's ECB meeting. There's some worries about Brexit talks also in the picture. Uh, the pound did take a hit against the dollar after the EU's chief negotiator uh, warned that some key sticking points remain. Can't guarantee a deal, although he did say that Wednesday's not seen as a cutoff date to any deal. We're back in a minute. Shares of Snowflake have more than tripled since the September IPO. That's not the only reason that the CEO, Frank Slootman, is smiling. According to Bloomberg, a comp package he received upon joining the company awards him a batch of options every month for four years that are worth more than $108 million each. It's about $1.3 billion annually, Jim. We said at the top, you thought he's worth it. Oh, yeah. I mean, look, we have to understand how things work. It's kind of a LeBron situation. Frank was done. I mean, he took he was service now. I had him on the last day. He was exhausted. He had said it on the show last week. He really didn't want to go back to work. He thought basically that he had finished, made a great career of things, and they lured him back. David, what are you going to do? How are you going to get a guy who doesn't want to work back? Will you pay him a lot of money and give him a good package? And he creates it on a company that is just a Terminator company, a desk star for, against so many other companies. Yeah. You had to get Sloopin back. Sloopin yeah. didn't feel like working. And the, right, and the right company for this moment, too, in terms of the stock market, I guess, Jim. Oh, yeah. A very fast grower in the right sector with a cohort of investors who love that kind of stuff. But $108 million a month. I mean, listen, we do see these pay packages. They're made up largely of stock. RSUs also end up being an important component for so many companies in terms of where things stand and what the value is. Um, but that's still pretty shocking. But remember, it's the board, okay? It's the board, and the board looks at what other people get. They yeah. want to attract a guy. Listen, nobody's going to complain because, right. of course, yeah. everybody's benefiting. And Slootman didn't really want to work. He was having a good time. He was completely burned out from turning around service now, which I have on tonight. So there's only a so billion dollars here, billion dollars there. Well, I mean, if you're that good, Carl, <laughs> then you command a big salary. Hey, listen, if Carson Wentz for winning, okay, for the Eagles, he makes, what, $128 million? Well, I'll, I'll write a check for a million if he was winning, okay? I mean, I'll, write, I'll wire yeah. the money to the guy, all right? Now, your tweet and your tweet this morning on Wentz uh, sh- shows you how, the, the issues there are at, on the offensive line there, Jim. we got to take a break. Dow's lower, but NASDAQ record high. Tesla is leading the NDX with a record high of its own. We're back in a moment. Got some sectors lower today, uh, financials, industrials, but nothing more than energy. Take a look at some of the laggards this morning. Occidental down 5% leads that group lower as MKM cuts to neutral. We'll take a break here. We're back in a minute. Let's get to Jim and stop trading. Yeah, we didn't even talk about this Exxon uh, challenge. And I just wanted to point out the fellow Chris James, he has $250 million under management. I regarded the challenge about uh, ESG uh, a little ridiculous, frankly. Um, that's just... A drop in the bucket. If you want to really, look, you get some big firms, maybe so they get out. But please don't confuse that guy with big firms. No. 40 million bucks, Jim, is yeah, the investment. Yeah, Point zero zero three. Yeah. Well, Exxon's not going to pay all that much attention. Yet, no. And I don't blame Exxon. And I think a lot of things <laughs> I don't like about Exxon. But please don't do what that guy's saying. 
Okay, ServiceNow on tonight. I think it's really important. It's one of the most, one of the greatest companies around, and it's Bill McDermott. I can't wait to talk to him. Sloop All right, Jim. Oh, Sloop we can't wait. Always good. Always great to hear from Bill. <laughs> yes, <you>. he did. <laughs> uh, Mad Money, 6 p.m. Eastern Time. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. 